Well, good morning again. It's a, a, a privilege for me and Lucy to be here with you this morning. Because um, I shared earlier, this church is a place that uh, the Lord used to solidify our hearts for the love of ministry. He used this church in a mighty way, and it was an immense blessing for us to serve as your interim pastor for three years. You know, and it was great, and now your pastor's back and having that, like I talked about earlier, that education from the Master's Seminary in America. And currently, for those who weren't here earlier, I'm the pastor-teacher at Western Area Baptist Church up in uh, West Rand, just outside of Houghton. And I I shared most of that, what's going on there. And we're so excited as a church to have you guys come up and help us evangelize, help us get the Word of Christ moved in that area. So when the elders asked me to be able to preach and speak, I was very excited and eager to do it, you know, because this place, you know, feels like home to us, you know, to be able to come down here and know all of you. And this morning, what I want us to do is we take, please take your Bibles and open them to Matthew 28. But I want us to get a a big picture of what missions and evangelism is all about. And whether it's missions or evangelism, whichever term you want to use. And The question you want to set in your mind is this. Why do we do what we do? Why do we do what we do? Why do we work so hard and pour so much time, energy, and resources into outreach? Into outreach. And why have Lucy and I traveled all the way across the world to be here in South Africa and minister here? Now I could actually end the sermon right here and give you the answer. Because the answer is simple. It's obedience. Obedience is the answer. Why? Because this was the great commission of the Lord Himself. What Jesus spoke these words. So please, if you're at Matthew 28, follow along as I read verses 16 to 20. And for those of you that know me, I'm using the New American Standard. I haven't upgraded yet to the LSB, but uh, the ESV works fine. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all All that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful and thankful to be here this morning, and the beautiful worship songs that we sang as we communed together, I pray that it is all a sweet aroma rising up to you. And now as we look to your word, Father, as, as your children, that we're called to be obedient to what Christ has called us to do. So please, guide us and strengthen us this morning. Help me to have clarity. And most of all, I pray that hearts are opened and hearts are willing to receive that some of the profound truths are really very simple. Help us to understand them. And I thank you again for this church. Thank you again for the leadership here. And what a great work they are doing. Continue to use them and bless them as they continue their focus on the gospel. And we thank you for that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So this morning, we're going to examine, basically, if you're taking notes, three foundational truths. 
Three Foundational Truths for the Church's Commission. You'll see that as my title because the church has been commissioned. Not just individually, but corporately. We come together on Sundays. So the, the first truth I want us to look at is what is our mission? And when I say that, what is our mission or our purpose? And where, where better to go than the scripture itself? So the scripture is going to teach us. Because at fall, as followers of Christ, what did we just learn in Matthew 28? Jesus' command was because all authority was given to him, meaning he is Lord and ruler. Verse 19 says what? Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. All the nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that that word there, all, is pretty inclusive. And when he says all nations, what does that mean? It means Cape Town means South Africa, means Western area. And it usually has to begin right here. Because too many churches have a missions budget, or they do missions, but none of the congregation really does the work. That's why I'm so excited, because you have people actually want to get out and do the work that God has commanded us to do. And we're just doing it in what? Obedience. Because Jesus is our, our Lord, right? And He tells us to go. Go and make disciples. And what is the first thing that we have to do? You're probably going to need a little bit of a crash helmet, so you have paper, you might want to mark some of these verses down. Because in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, he says this, He said to them, Go into all the world, and what? Simple, marching orders. Preach the Gospel. See it? Right from Scripture. We'll go. So how do we first, how do we make disciples? They first have to hear what? The gospel. We can't get it backwards. Too many people try to disciple people, but they only really become disciples once they're truly born again. Because they're not going to be able to receive the word of God. Because what does the Bible say? The natural man cannot what? Understand the word of God because it's what? Spiritually appraised. So first we have to go and preach the gospel to all of creation. That means we're proclaiming to everyone, the gospel, to every single creature. Every person you walk by is an opportunity. And I'm sure you've heard it before where different pastors get up and preach, right? And they say, why can't God just mark everybody? It'd be so much easier. But no, we're just to be faithful and obedient to our call. We proclaim Him. And that Him is Jesus Christ. And how do we know what we're supposed to claim? Great question. Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24 Luke chapter 24, verse 7, 47 says this, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be, here's that word again, proclaimed. Proclaimed in His name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. So what is that telling us? It's telling us that sinners, sinners may lay hold of forgiveness of sins, how? How are you forgiven? What's it say right there, right in the scripture? Through repentance and faith. Because what is heaven going to be filled with? People who are what? Forgiven. What's hell going to be filled with? People who are unforgiven because they've never repented and put their faith in Jesus Christ. Because you need to repent and put your faith in the person. The person of who? The person of 
Jesus Christ. And that's what this says. So we're seeing our marching orders. We're to go into all the world. It is pretty simple. What do we proclaim to every creature? Through repentance, you are forgiven. And that forgiveness is what? It's making you back into the right relationship with God. That's what forgiveness truly is. That's why we're to practice that daily as believers. When we sin, we're to go to the person and do what? Ask for what? Forgiveness. But too many people just want to say what? Sorry. Sorry is not the same as forgiveness. Because what does usually sorry mean? Ah, sorry I got caught. Because if you didn't catch me, I'd still be going. Right? But true forgiveness is thinking first and foremost that you sinned against God. And once you've sinned against God, you you affect other people. So you still need to go to them. And we know that in Psalm 51. Because what does David do? He's an adulterer. He's a murderer. And what's the first thing he says? Against you, God, and only you, I have sinned. That's where it all begins. That's where the, 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 the gospel message starts. People can be forgiven through repentance and faith of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, for us to see this commission here, this great commission, in most of your Bibles, that's what it says under Matthew 16 to 20. And all of the Gospels give us varying degrees of this message and what we're supposed to do. So we don't have to reinvent the wheel, right? We just got to see what does Scripture do? What did the early church do? So this, this, this repetition is warranted in each of the Gospels. Because remember, we're all what? Sheep. And I think God picked sheep because they're the smartest animals on the planet. Right? <laughs> so, and remember, we're under shepherds and we're also sheep. Okay? So we need to understand that. But why is this, this repetition here? Because these are the marching orders for who? The people who claim to be what? God's people. This is pretty direct from the Scriptures. This is what the church has been left here on earth to accomplish. Don't get me wrong. I love listening to the music. But guess what happens when we get to heaven? We're all going to sing perfectly. <laughs> so for those of us, I remember in seminary, um, when they would, we'd have to sing with all the men, and the guy, the conductor would say, hey, some of you guys over here, just give the video. <laughs> in other words, just move your lips. Don't, nothing come out of your mouth. <laughs> but in heaven, we're going to be... We're going to be what? We're going to be doing it perfectly. And what's the one thing that we're not going to be able to do in heaven? Be obedient to share the gospel. Why? Because when we're in heaven, everybody's what? Saved. There's no need. There's no need. So do you ever think, why do we evangelize or why do we put so much energy into mission work? What are most of us going to respond most people are going to respond and say, I know that. But have you ever really thought about why Jesus told us to do that? And most people are going to say, what? So people can be saved. Right? Isn't that a, that's a, a good answer, right? So people can be saved. But why is He working in the world to save people? And a lot of people might respond this. Some of you might respond this way. Because they want to be saved from what? Punishment. Punishment in hell, right? Is that what we get saved from? We get saved from hell, of the punishment of hell. Because we all know 
we have family members that might not know Christ, that's going to be a horrible fate. It's going to be enduring fire. It's suffering. And, we, and if we have a good heart and we say we love people, we want as many souls what? Saved and kept from what? Kept from that fire. Kept from that punishment. We want people to be able to escape that. That's why we have the most powerful message on the planet. The message of hope. The message of forgiveness. So then some of you might say yes to that. But there's a deeper reason. A deeper reason than just wanting people to not suffer judgment. So then you think, hmm, I've got the answer to that. I just want everybody to go where? To heaven, right? I heard a a preacher one time say this. He asked this question. How many of you, okay, want to be in heaven and all your friends are there, all your co-workers are there, all your family is there, and God isn't? Let that sink in for a moment. God isn't there. Because it's a nice place to go, right? There's no punishment. There's no more pain, no sorrow or sickness. I'm going to see my family. I'm going to see my friends. Don't get me wrong. All of these are good things. Okay, Wanting people to be in heaven and understanding what the Bible says. But they are not the ultimate reason. They are not the ultimate reason. Because when we dig into the Scriptures and we go deeper and deeper, the good reasons for evangelizing is when you hit rock bottom, when you hit rock bottom, the reason Christ called us to preach, the reason Christ called each and every one of His people to go out and share the Gospel to the unbelieving world around us, Think about the answer to that for a second. The reason we are to go out and share the gospel, answer, for the glory of God. All those other things were good. But the real reason we do what we're doing, and I'm here just to encourage you this morning, is to do it for the glory of God. And we all should have this verse memorized, right? 1 Corinthians 10, 10, 10.31. Whenever you eat or drink, whatever you do, you do what? You do all for the glory of God. You get it? But some of you will say, but I've heard that. I've been attending church for a long time. I've been attending church. And most of you will say, I've heard this a thousand times. But listen, we need to be reminded. We need to continually hear this. Because the most ultimate and foundational, the most ultimate and foundational reason that follows of Jesus Christ are to preach the gospel, are to preach the gospel to the lost, is that, here, here's the answer. It, God means to bring glory and honor to Himself. You hear that? And how does He do that? And we're going to see through the Scriptures. Through the redemption or salvation of sinners. So you see here, why are we being Obeying, we are both obeying the Great Commission as a church. We do it individually, we do it corporately. And what's the answer now? Not because we want people to save from hell. We do it for what? The glory of God. 
So you see that. There's our mission. There's our purpose as we come together. And as we are to go out to all the nations. And doesn't make any of us super spiritual. Because obedience doesn't make you super spiritual. It shows what? It shows your love for who? Christ. And we're called as God's people to what? To submit to his word. So the first foundational truth in our mission is we do it for the glory of who? For the glory of God. But this brings us to our second truth I want us to see. I want us to see God's purpose. God's purpose. And why is he working in the world? Why is he doing what he does? Now, some of you probably didn't even know this is in your Bible. You ever hear the book Habakkuk? Probably said it wrong. How do you say it in Afrikaans? Habakkuk. Right? But here it is. Here's the Old Testament prophet. So just turn so you can read this. It's in, it's in the little minor prophets just after Matthew, a little bit to your left in your Bibles. We want to see this in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14. And here's God's purpose, why he's working in the world to save sinners. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 14 says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of what? You see it? The glory of who? There's God's purpose. There's God's purpose in his working in the world. That the earth may be filled, will be filled, I'm sorry, not maybe, will be filled with the knowledge of the glory. This is God's purpose in the world and always has been. Always has been. Now, God has enlisted, enlisted, enlisted or commissioned who? Us. The church to be part of this. Isn't this amazing? Because who is the us? Who are we? We're, we're, we just sang the song about what? Amazing grace, right? But who were we before Christ? We were those rebels. We were sinners, but we were saved by what? By grace. And now we get to partner alongside God, Christ, for His purpose. Because remember, we've already looked at the Great Commission. The Great Commission. To make disciples of all the nations in Matthew 28, verse 19. Why? Why? Why are we doing this? So that the glory of God will be magnified. The glory of God will be magnified, I mean put on display. This is a magnificent work we get to be part of. We get to be part of this work. And what is this work? What is this magnificence that shows God's glory? The salvation of who? Sinners. The salvation of sinners. So God's purpose here, okay, is clearly in Scripture. It informs us, but it also directs us. This is our purpose. This is our mission. Remember, whatever we do, we do for the glory of who? God. So think about that. When you're calling someone to repentance, when you're talking about Jesus, who are you glorifying? Because remember, God is glorified whether they repent or not. Because in the end, every knee will bow. Just only the forgiven will enter into that right relationship of communion 
with God. This is God's purpose. Remember, it's to glorify who? Himself. Sometimes I used to step back and think about that. Doesn't God hate pride? Isn't that a pretty prideful statement? But there's nobody higher than God. Remember? The Alpha and the Omega. He's everything. So He has to be receiving the glory. Because of who He is, the Creator. This is the foundation of our church's commission. So we look at, to make disciples of all the nations, what must we do? Preach what? The Gospel. Do you see that? We ought to preach the Gospel because that brings glory to who? God. We are just mouthpieces. So the first foundational truth is we we have our mission. And what's our mission? Obedience. Obedience to the Great Commission, not only as individuals, but as a corporate body. Then we just looked at what is God's purpose? To glorify who? Himself. So there's God's purpose. Our purpose is to obey. And when we obey, we bring what to God? We bring glory, glory to God. The Bible is clear as the Scripture speaks, okay? As the Scripture speaks, we have to be radical. This is one time I like that word, radical. As a church and as His followers, we need to be God-centered. Everything we do in the church has to be based on the foundation of the Gospel. Because if it's not, it's not the way God prescribed it. And we're to do it, how? To bring God the glory. Because listen to what God says. I want us to see thirdly here, the goal. What's God's goal? What's God's goal of His purpose or His mission? This is unwavering in the Scriptures. We're going to look at a few Old Testament passages here. It's unwavering commitment. So we need to be committed to if we call ourselves what? Followers of Christ. We need to be committed as the way God is committed. And what's that commitment to? Pursuing the glory of His name in all that He does. Now remember, who are we supposed to be like? Christ, right? And He does what? All for the glory of who? God. So as His followers, we want to grow in Christ's likeness. We too need to pursuing the glory of His name. And how do we do that? Obedient to the commission. Obedient to the commission. Isaiah 42. Turn to Isaiah so you can see these. So I just want you to see, this is what the Bible says. These aren't my thoughts and my ideas. This is God's unwavering commitment. Isaiah 42, verse 8. It says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my what? Glory. You see that? I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to a graven image. It's all about God's glory. A couple pages over, Isaiah 48. Isaiah 48, verse 9. It says what? For the sake of my name. You see that? For the sake of my name, I delay my wrath. 
And for my praise, I restrain it for you in order not to cut you off. Then look at verse 11. Once again, for my own sake, for my own sake, I will act. For how can my name be profaned? In my glory, I will not what? Give to another. God's talking about glorifying himself. And then this is, turn to, turn to this book of Psalms. Psalm 106. And we look at Psalm 106. What is the psalmist doing here? He's praising God for what? His mighty deeds. He's praising God for His mighty deeds in verse 2. But Yahweh had performed for the nation of Israel. So what does the psalmist do here? He starts at the very top, speaking about deliverance of Israel from where? From Egypt. How did he do it? Through what? The Red Sea. You know the story, right? Look at verse 7 says of Psalm 106. He said, Our fathers, the psalmist says, in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember your abundant kindness. But here it is. What did they do? They rebelled. You see that? That's the human nature. That's who we are before Christ. We rebel. But they rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. But look at verse 8. Here it is in verse 8 of Psalm 106. Nevertheless, He, meaning God or Yahweh, saved them. Why did He save them? Because they were so good? Look what it says. Why are we saved? For the sake of His name. And then it goes on, that He might make His what known? His power. You see that? That is why. That is why we do what we do. God didn't save you because, oh, I'm some fantastic orator. No, He saves each and every one of us for His own purposes. For the sake of His name. Remember, God had compassion for Israel and He wanted them free from what? What were they in? They were in slavery. God wanted to judge Egypt. Remember He said, I'm going to judge Egypt as well? For what? Their cruelty? But ultimately, what is the psalmist showing us? That God is what? God-centered. It's about Him. It's about His glory. About glorifying Himself. And how do we know that? Because God saved them for His what? Namesake. Yeah. Too often as we, we get into our lives as Christians, we get kind of complacent. Because we don't realize that God saved us for His sake. Not anything that we do. The only thing we bring to the table is sin. It's the only thing we offer. And God just has to strip everything away from us and then builds us back up. But He's doing it for His namesake. For His glory. It all comes down to worship. So turn to Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel chapter 36. The context here is that Israel has sinned against God By refusing, this is key now, they've refused to worship in purity. Okay, you can come to work to church and worship, but it has to be done in purity, and God is about to deliver them into Babylonian exile. Remember? Because were they doing it his their worship pure? They wouldn't have had to been what? Delivered into the Babylonian exile. But before God does, 
This is, this is God's mercy. Look what God says. He promises that He will restore them. And listen to the reasons why God is going to restore them. Ezekiel 36, look at verse 22. Remember, He's restoring this rebellious, rebellious people that because of their sin, He had to send them what? Into captivity, into exile. Verse 22 says, Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act. But why? Look what it says. But for my what? Holy name. Holy name. Which you have profaned among the nations where, I, um, where you went. Then once again, what's God going to do? I will vindicate the holiness of my great what? My great name. Are you starting to get a picture here, I hope? That God saves sinners for His glory and for the sake of His name? I don't see too many spots in there that He's doing it for us. And that should humble us to realize none of us in this room did anything. It's all about God. God doing it all. He says, I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. Once again, he says, I will prove my holiness among you in their sight. God is doing the work. Didn't the Bible tell us that in the New Testament? He who began a work in you will complete it. It doesn't say, hey, God saved you, just Go, go have at it. Go sanctify yourself. Do what you need to do. No, no. If you're truly one of God's, He's going to discipline us. And He's going to do it. But why is He doing it? For whose sake? So we can become better people? No, He's doing it for His name's sake and for His glory. This is just a sample of Scripture that shows us that God's chief purpose, His goal in salvation is to glorify His name. And how is He really doing that? He's doing it in the salvation of who? Lost sinners like you and I. Through His salvation. So we see here that there's a goal that God is committed to this. He's committed to magnifying His own greatness in all that He does. What the Bible tells us. But now I wanted to go, not just the goal, now I want us to see from the Scriptures here that what is, what is God's purpose? What is God's purpose for this salvation as well? If you still have your finger in Isaiah, Isaiah 43, verse 7. Remember now, he says this, Everyone who is called by My name in whom I have created. Look what it says. Why has He done it? For your what? For my glory. Whom I have formed, even whom I have made. Pretty powerful statement. What does this mean? This means that God has stated that He has created His people for what? His glory. Do you see that? We're created for God's glory. It's not about us. But then again, and we're still in Isaiah 43, drop down to verse 25. 
But then God says in verse 25, I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions. But why does He wipe out your sins? What's it say? For my own sake. You see that? I'm hoping really the picture we're getting here is what God is doing and why He's doing it. And we're just called to be obedient because God's the one really doing what? All the work. He's the one doing all the work. And I love this. And I will not remember your what? Your sins. That's forgiveness. That's the weight that comes off our shoulders. But wait a minute, you keep showing me the Old Testament. Okay, let's try the New Testament. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verse 12, the Apostle John writes this, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you. Why? What's it say there? For His namesake. Do you see it? It's all about God. It's for His namesake. This is 1 John 2, verse 12. And remember, John's, John's older now when he's writing. and he, He's showing his love for the people. He calls them little children endearing terms. He's talking to believers. He's reminding them that you've been forgiven. And why? For His namesake. Not because of, like I said, anything that we bring to the table. And then in Ephesians chapter 1. I want to mark that down. Ephesians chapter 1. This is an opening hymn of praise in Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, what he's saying here, that every aspect of our salvation, our election by the Father in eternity past, verse 6. What verse 6 tells us. Look at verse 6. To the praise of His I'm sorry, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. That's, that's God chose us before anything was done. A lot of people don't like to talk about that doctrine. But what does verse 12 tell us? And then it says, to the end, that we who are the first to hope in who? In Christ would be to the what? Praise of His what? Glory, you see that? The praise of His glory. That's, that's our redemption accomplished by who? By Jesus. And what's the work Jesus did? He hung where? Hung on the cross. He hung on the cross. And then verse 14 tells us, Ephesians 1 verse 14, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession. There's that term again, to the praise of His what? Glory. Glory, glory, glory. But it doesn't stop there. If you're still in Ephesians, look at chapter 2. All of this is said to be to the praise of God's glory in our salvation, our redemption. Because Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 says this, but God, here it is. Here it comes. Whenever you see that little word, but, pay attention. Because usually people are going to tell you the truth. But, but God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved who? Loved us. It's all about the love of the Father 
for the son. We're basically on for the ride. Because verse 5 says, even when we were what? Before Christ, dead in our what? Transgressions. Made us what? Alive. You see that? Ephesians 2, verse 5. Made us alive together with Christ. And there's that term. By grace you have been what? Saved. Saved. And then verse 6. And He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What, 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 why? What's the purpose of that? Little tiny clause there in verse 7. Going to tell us. It's a hint of clause. It says this. So that. Here's the purpose. Why did this happen? So that in the ages to come, He, meaning God, might what? Show the surpassing riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So what's, what's He doing? God's doing it. He is showing us His might. Now, I'm sure some of you have, may have heard of a very man-centered version of Christianity. A very man-centered version of Christianity. Some of you, you know, and I, you know, I'm older, I got saved older in life, so I didn't get some of these early stories. But some have heard the gospel presented as if God was just a lonely old grandfather. Right? God is lonely in heaven. He desperately wants to have a relationship with you. You ever think about that? Some of us, how we act, so we think's going on. Ah, I don't need God right now. You know, he's whatever. Right? He's a cosmic Santa Claus. That God can't even live without you. He's done everything so he can what? Be with you, right? Some people like that. They like to romanticize things. Some of you probably heard a gospel presented as if God's main goal was to show us, listen to me now, how valuable who we are. You ever hear that? Some people, some people talk that way. How valuable. That's why they, they sell the gifts and not the giver. Because you're so valuable. God's going to give you a new house, a new car. God's going to prosper you. And they find verses to, to back that up. So you're so valuable. And then, they, and then they'll back it up with Scripture. And they'll back it up how? They'll say, well, wait a minute. He gave you what is most precious to himself, didn't he? Didn't he give us in God? Give us what's most precious to himself? His son. They'll say that. But some of those things are, you could say, okay, God did do that, didn't he? He did give us his son. He does value us, right? But we're learning clearly those aren't the reasons he's done this. Because God does demonstrate his love. How did he demonstrate his love, Romans tells us? By sending who? By sending his son. God does desire to be in a relationship with us. And we're his creatures. But what these scriptures teach us, and we've been looking at, is that God's most ultimate purpose in saving sinners has nothing to do with making anything of me and you. He doesn't save sinners to make much of me or you, but to make much of who? Himself. 
You've got to let that sink in. He's done this. He brings sinners into the freedom of enjoying making much of Him forever. See how this is falling into place? Why we're to proclaim Him? Because He's put that within us when we get saved. That we are to go out and proclaim Him. Because God is the most lovely, most beautiful, most majestic thing I don't even want to use that word thing. There is. He's the most thrilling person. We know that. Because we see the person of who? Jesus Christ. Who He is. His beauty. His glory. God loves us. And He wants to give us what is lovely. He does. He wants to give us what Every human truly wants their soul satisfied. Until you came to Christ, every single one of us had something empty. It was in our soul, in our spirit. Because we were what? We already read, dead in our what? Transgressions. Dead in our transgressions and sins. Why does God labor? Why does God labor in all that He does? is to put His what on display? His glory. He does it to put His glory on display. Do you know what that means? It means that salvation is about making what? Worshippers. Remember, we've heard this in the Bible. Jesus said what? God wants worshippers who worship in what? Spirit and in what? Truth. Truth. He is about making worshiper. Salvation is God turning idolaters or sinners into true worshipers of the one true and living God. That's what salvation is all about. But how are worshipers created? How do people lay hold of eternal life in Christ? Isn't that a great question? Let me show you the answer from the Bible. Turn to first. Peter, or 1 Peter, 1 Peter verse 23, I had to learn that, some people don't like first, they have 1 Peter, but you guys, I can see you're turning, so you're knowing where to go, right? Because how do we lay hold of eternal life? It's through the proclamation of something, the gospel, because look what 1 Peter 23 says, it says, for you have been born again, right? Right? So this is how we get born again. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring Word of God. Wow. And then he goes on to say, okay, so what is that Word? What is that Word? Look at verse 25. Verse 25. And this is the word which was what? Preached to you. Do you see that? See what a, what, a, what a joy you could glorify God by preaching the gospel in obedience to what God has done for us? That is, it's the gospel that was preached to you. So we become those what? Those beautiful feet, Romans says, that bring what? The good news. So we have to develop a heart for the lost souls around us. 
Because it's not about this life. It's not about this life. But too many times, what do we let dominate us? Our temporal circumstances. Right? We live in the temporal, but we're supposed to be living where? In the spiritual, which is the what? Fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, anger, upset. Good, you're listening still. Thank you. But no, but you know when you're angry? Guess what you're walking in? The flesh. Because when you're joyful, peaceful, loving, self-control, means you're walking in what? The Spirit. And if you're truly saved, each and every one of us has the ability to walk in that. But too often our flesh causes us to what to the Spirit? Quench it. Because it all turns into what about me? What do I want? Right? Instead of seeing what the Bible says for us. So we have been born again. It was the gospel that was preached to you. And I love when I hear you guys doing open air. You're out there. You're just being obedient. But it's hard because we live in a result-oriented world, don't we? Why, why do we even need to go to school? We can just Google it. Think about it. And South Africa forced me to like instant coffee. <laughs> right? But I'm just saying, this is, this, is, this is the environment that we live in. We want, instead of allowing God to work. Because remember, but we have the privilege. It's a privilege, folks. And I hope you're starting to see when we do it in obedience, and it's out of love for God, not out of duty. It's out of devotion. Out of our love for God. And I know you guys have been working your way through the book of James, so I'll keep this brief. James chapter 1, verse 18. It says, In the exercise of His will... He brought us forth. What is that? That's new birth language. Okay? New birth language. How did He bring us forth? Look what it says. By the word of what? Truth. You see that? He brought us through by the word of truth. And here's the purpose. Look what it says. So that, little hint of clause, we would be a kind of first fruits among who? His creatures. So we are to be an example. We are to be following Christ in such a way that we come here, the real reason we're here this morning and we come together is to commune with God. You hear a lot of people say, oh, i got to go to church to get fed today. Nothing wrong with you, okay? But if you don't understand that you're truly here communing with God, and the one time we're worshiping together is going to be like heaven, is when we're singing hymns. That's why they have to exalt God and bring glory to God. And it was beautiful to listen to those songs this morning. But so you're, you're communing with God. Do you understand that? That's what we're doing. We're communing with God when we're singing as a group. It's exact, I always understood worship was coming and giving of yourself. Worship is not taking. Worship is giving. But then, we, it was about two months ago, a, a sermon about, it, do you understand the foundation and why we worship? is because we're communing with God. Think about that. When you're singing, do you just read the things and sing? Or do you realize as you're singing those words, you're communing with God? That's what it means to be a sweet aroma. 
Right? We want our worship to be what? A sweet aroma rising up to who? Rising up to God. But it's key for us, you see, in the New Testament, it's by the word of truth. And I know most all of you know this one, Romans 10, 17, right? Faith comes by what? Hearing. And hearing an idle babbler? No. Hearing the word, don't miss this, of Christ. A lot of words out there. But we want it to be the word of Christ. So worshipers are created when? When they're what? Born again. True worshipers are created when they are born again. And salvation happens through what? Faith. Right? Faith comes by what? Hearing. But hearing the word of Christ. Hearing comes by the word of Christ, but we have to get the message right. Don't miss this. We still got to get the message right. We got to get the gospel right. And Colossians talks about that. We're to speak with clarity. You know, we just can't say what we think. You know, we got to talk where? Holiness of God. Man, who man is? Sinner. But then who Jesus Christ is. And then the money, the money statement. What's the money statement? Anybody's in sales? Because everybody's afraid to ask for the check, right? The money statement in the gospel is calling them to repentance. Because how many people have said, oh, I had a great gospel opportunity today. And I'll ask one question. Did you call them to repentance? Then you didn't have a gospel presentation today. Because you've got to close the deal and call them to repentance. Because remember, it's called good news for what? A reason. But usually good news has a little bit something involved with it. Some bad news. And most people think that they're good people. Okay? And they'll never, you'll never see a need for Jesus if you don't understand that you're a sinner. That's what happened to the Pharisees, right? And, and, and how do you come? Luke 18 is where you have to, if you're doing any evangelism, you have to have Luke 18 down. The Pharisee and the tax collector. Because people ask me, well, well how, how do I do this? How do I, how do I do this? You need to be like the tax collectors. What does he say in Luke? He first says, God, be what? Merciful to me, sinner. See, if you don't get to that place, you're never going to have a need for Jesus. You have to acknowledge that you're a sinner in front of a holy God. And, and how can you be, show that to a person? Because what does Jesus say about that man? Because the Pharisee in that whole little parable is most churchgoers. They pray to God how great I am. They put money in the offering. They do all these outward things. Right? You ever hear his prayer? Read that sometimes. He's telling God how good he is. But then the one who beat his breast and begged for what? Mercy? Jesus says, what about him? That man went home justified. It's the same term as righteous. It means he was saved. Because he entered into where God was on God's terms. And acknowledge that he's a sinner. So I just share that to make sure we don't forget repentance. Repentance is a key part of our gospel presentation. Key part. So hearing comes by the word of Christ. And we know God is the one who truly grants repentance. And then Paul goes on, right? What's he say? How will they hear? Unless they hear what? So I know not everyone stands up here, but when you're in the street, guess what you are? You're a herald. 
You're an ambassador. You're called to proclaim. You have to be a preacher. And he goes on and says, and how will they preach unless they are what? Sent. And what does he say? Sent by whom? This is why I'm encouraging you guys so much because you're already doing it. Thank the Lord. Because why? They're sent by their local church. And you guys just had a group what yesterday? And let me tell you, Denver will attest to this, Roosevelt was not a young spring chicken church. We had a lot of what they call here pensioners. And you know something? What we used to share with them, not everybody can knock on doors. But what can you do? Pray. We had teams of people, the older folks, so they'd feel part of the evangelism. And we'd be saying, hey, we're going to be knocking on doors from, say, 9 to 11. These ladies would get together and pray for those two hours that God would what? Open the doors. God would give us clarity of speech. So all of us can do it together. Not everybody has to be the one knocking on the door. But what I'm getting at, the motivation, the willingness has to be there. Why? Because you want to, in the end, bring glory to who? You want to bring glory to God. That is why we do what we do. Evangelism in missions is the job of who? The local church. And I'm commending you guys doing a great job. Because we know that evangelism in missions does what? Glorifies who? Glorifies God. In His glory, don't forget this, must be our greatest what? Joy. Wow. Psalm 37.4. Anybody know Psalm 37.4? Ruth, you can't say anything. What's Psalm 37.4? Write this down. Everybody, write this down. It says, delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of what? Ah, good. Remember that. So when you're struggling throughout the day, who, what are you really doing? You're, bringing joy, you're trying to bring joy to yourself, but you're not delighting in who? God. So you wonder why days are a struggle. Because it once again, because of our flesh, comes back to all about me. So it needs to be our greatest joy knowing that we glorify God. So turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Remember now, we're still looking at the goal. Now we're looking at the purpose of God and the mission here. Because 2 Corinthians 4, verse 15. It says, For all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to what? To the abounding of what? The glory of God. You see that? The more people we tell about Jesus, the more people God saves. Why? Because we want all them to glorify who? God. Just as we are called to glorify God. So this is, this is Paul he's speaking about here is that we have to labor in this. We have to work hard. He starts by speaking about the motivation. What should be our motivation? Verse 15 says, All things are for your sakes. So what's he saying here? 
We are serving. We are the people who serve God. But what needs to be our our end result? Why do we do what we're doing? The end of verse 15, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to what? See it? The glory of God. That's why we're outreaching. That's why we're telling people because we want to glorify God. And what does Paul mean here? In verse 15, he says, the more people are saved, the more people are saved, the more people are going to be what? Rejoicing and giving thanks, sorry, giving thanks to God. That's, that's the end, end result of why we do what we do as a church. The more God is praised and rejoiced in, the more God is what? Honored and glorified. And that needs to be our goal. Remember, what was God's purpose in the world? What's God's purpose in the world? To bring what? How though? Through what? Through the redemption of who? Sinners. And we can be part of that glorious task. So if you are a Christian, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. We'll back up a little bit. Verse 6 says this, For God, who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Wow. What does that mean? What does that mean? This is done so you come to treasure who? You come to treasure Christ. You need to delight and find joy in your relationship with Christ. You ever wonder why your relationships struggle? Because your relationship with Christ isn't where it should be. Relationship with Christ is all about relationship. You love when God's glory is treasured in worship and you see others coming to Christ. That's true love. As people hear the gospel preached and are saved, we already talked about this, worshipers are created. That's what God wants, right? People who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. So the grace of salvation spreads to more and more people. But how does it do it? Remember, God's privileging us to be part of this and to do this. Isn't that amazing? That you can be part of glorifying God. Because His main purpose is to glorify Himself. And He allows us to do this. The more voices that are added, the chorus and praise to God. Look at at this room. Isn't this amazing? How God has put people in these seats? It's praising for His glory. Because you guys are doing what the Bible says. Right? Because Jesus said, I will build what? My church. As long as we understand it's His church, and we just stay faithful to the Scripture, He's going to keep putting people in the seats. But if we get too, oh, too excited, look at all the people in the seats, He can also start taking them away. Or bring so many of the... Car- oh, I won't say that one. The, <laughs> the dancing people, right? That the church will lean that way. 
But no, this is amazing to see what's going on here. Um, it's a testament to, to your leaders being faithful to the Scripture. Because we're learning clearly, right? It's the Word. You know, we can say all these things we want to say, nice stories, but it's the Word that God uses to grow His church. Let me ask you here at Living Hope Bible Church, is this what you long for? Is this what makes you get up in the morning? Do you so love and delight in God that your heart wants to see nothing more but more people added to the church for His glory? You don't have to answer all at once. But think about these things. What, why do I do what I do? What makes me tick? Do I do everything I do for the glory of God? If so, and I know you guys do, otherwise you wouldn't be doing what you're doing, preaching the gospel here. You're going to desire, but you guys are already doing this, okay? You desire already to send people out. You already want to send people up to help us, a little church. As long as you just keep the focus on you're doing it to glorify God. Because we're called to bring the gospel to who? To the nations. Because worship is the goal of the church's commission. There it is. Worship. It is to bring glory to God by proclaiming the gospel and making disciples. That's what evangelism in missions exists for. Okay? Because not enough worship exists. That's why we still need to evangelize. You ever think of it that way? There's not enough people worshiping God. Not enough people glorifying God in their daily lives. Because Jesus is worthy of worship and praise from everywhere, from Cape Town to Joburg to Egypt to no matter where. That's why you have to go to all the nations to bring what? To bring glory to God. So we need to remember that we're called to be living sacrifices in Romans. And how do we sacrifice? Except we're living sacrifice. Because usually sacrifices did what? Died. But we do need to die. To what? To self. That's how we bring glory to God. By proclaiming His truth. So the com- church's commission <clears throat> is to share the gospel. To turn people into worshipers of God who is worthy of all worship. And I'll close with this. When you're a true worshiper, you now commune with God. Isn't that a beautiful thing? That is why we are here this morning, to corporately commune with God. And my prayer for each and every one of you is that your worship becomes the greatest joy in your life because you understand that we're here to bring glory to God. Let's pray. Father, it's... Amazing that we're able to even call You Father. And it's only because of the work of Your Son. And I pray that You continue to help us and guide us that Your salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Jesus needs to be worshipped by more than just the Jewish people because of His majesty, because of His greatness. And I pray that a fire will be kindled in our bones that we want to be people who, in reality, worship You in a way that honors and brings glory to You. And I thank You for each and every person that was here this morning. And I pray that Your Word will go out and do the work that You've called it to do. And we thank You in His mighty name. Amen.